0: Ukraine's armed forces underwent systemic changes, while Russia continues bombardments of Ukrainian peaceful cities. Investigators present Russia's war crimes in temporarily occupied Mariupol. You are listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermalenko. I am a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. I am joined by my colleagues, Anastasia Herasimchuk and Daria Sinhaevska, journalists and analysts at Ukraine World, to discuss key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internet Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com ukraineworld Ukraine World. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode.
1: The dismissal of General Zeluzhny, after all, took place. Ukraine has a new commander-in-chief, Colonel-General Syrsky. Other rotations in the commander's staff are ongoing. There are vivid discussions about disappointment and what's going to happen on the ground. And we are going to talk about it. But there were other topics worth attention, right, Dasha? Sure. So we, as you correctly mentioned, uh, not only
2: uh, are going to have discussion about the frontline developments, but also about those who stand behind them. And by this, I mean residing management team of the armed forces in particular. We are also going to pay close attention to Russia's attacks on Ukraine, uh, namely uh, on such cities and oblasts as Kyiv, Odessa, Kharkiv, Mykola, um, we are going to uh, look closely to the new uh, research on the crimes of the occupiers in Mariupol conducted by Human Rights Watch, Truth Hans, and CITU Research and also paying close attention to Nicaragua as a new illegal trade and economic partner of the occupied Crimea and an array of falsehoods which is called Tucker Carlson's Interview with Putin.
1: Yes, and let's start with the most hated news about the dismissal of Ukrainian commander-in-chief General Zaluzhny. In previous episode, we talked about uh, the ideas General Zaluzhny outlined in his recent article for CNN. And in short, it was about new strategies or even more precisely about new philosophy of war that should be taken to change the situation on the ground. And let me remind you that there were three main components there, such as systemic use of technological solutions on the ground, uh, effective system of mobilization and training of uh, Ukrainian military, and, of course, effective deployment of all the capabilities Ukrainian army has, and together with that, the effective management uh, of the armed forces. The new commander-in-chief started performing his duties. But actually, he inherited the load of problems General Zaluzhny was looking for solutions to. And if think carefully about these problems, they are caused by various factors and sometimes even external factors, such as insufficiency of weapons and supplies delays, uh, the dependency of, on uh, foreign assistance it's, itself and uh, or Russian ability to bypass sanctions. Uh, So the situation on on the ground, current difficult situation on the ground is actually caused not only by the problems, let's say problems with Ukrainian strategy, Uh, it's dictated to a certain extent by some external and internal factors. Still, uh, these factors, the dynamic character of this war actually creates this situation when the new solutions are needed. And that is why the strategy needs to be changed, Um, if not constantly, but according to these dynamic changes. So the question here is about um, whether uh, these, let's say, stalemate on the front lines caused by a personal approach, is it about personality or it's about system and complexity of external and external factors? And would these tough changes help to solve these problems? On the one hand, yes, a fresh look at the situation after two difficult and tense years uh in, in his position uh, can 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 be for better. I mean, this uh, shift of um, view, a fresh look uh, is uh, the search for this fresh look at the situation is one of the version why uh, General Zaluzhny was fired by the President uh, Zelensky. Uh, and indeed, uh, two years of uh, difficult defense and um, defense operations and counteroffensive uh, are quite draining for every specialist. So um, this version has its rights uh, for uh, existence. And uh, we will also talk about other versions, why the dismissal could take place. Um, So, when we talk about the new commander-in-chief, Sirsky isn't new in this system. He was the commander of the ground force of Ukraine armed forces, and he worked very closely together with Zaluzhin. He is uh, actually very famous for uh, taking part in defense uh, operation uh, in and region in the very beginning of the full-scale invasion, and he was also leading uh counter counteroffensive operations uh so um, the attitude to, towards this figure is quite different and you can find uh supporters of Sirsky as well as critics of him and it's quite natural uh the same situation was about the about General Zaluzhny despite his wide support among Ukrainians if we talk about military they, they were representatives of soldiers who were actually quite critical about General Zaluzhny, especially regarding his, um, his counter-offensive operation in the south of Ukraine. So um, when we talk about these big figures, big military figures, uh, of course, it, it is uh, very easy to find what to admire in them and what, to, um, what not to like in them. And we should judge by only by their professionalism. Uh, so um, the Western the Western allies of Ukraine actually. Um, accepted these changes and uh, claimed that it's a sovereign right of Ukraine to decide who is uh, who should be the commander-in-chief, and our partners are going to cooperate with Sirsky as well as they cooperated with Zaluzhny. However, Western media Western media uh, exploded with various ambiguous headlines, uh, sometimes calling Sirsky as a butcher or uh, emphasizing that this Change uh, this change of commander took place at the most dangerous uh, stage of the developments on the front lines. However, uh, we will we will observe we will see how the new commander in chief will uh, show his mastery and uh, his strategic um, thoughts. Talking about General Zaluzhny. He was a very popular figure among Ukrainians, as I've already mentioned, and his rating of trust uh, was, according to sociological surveys, were quite higher than the rating of President Zelensky himself. And there were rumors about the political rivalry between these two prominent figures. And um, that's another question why the dismissal could take place. So, according to another version, um, Zelensky just wanted to get, re- get rid of his popular rival uh, in the, on the political stage. However, Zaluzhny have never mentioned about his political ambitions and firing him actually would give him more room for uh, political activity. So, however, if this version is correct, It means that the political process is ongoing in Ukraine despite the war and it shows once again that Ukraine is a democratic state. So now all eyes are on the new commander-in-chief and um, in his position, in his new position, Sirsky has already uh, already mentioned uh, the key tasks he is going to focus on. And the first one is uh, actually clear and detailed planning of the actions of uh, all the military units and of uh, commanders, army commanders uh, as well. And in this regard, uh, he is also going to uh, pay special attention to the needs uh, in weapons on the front lines and the way. These weapons is redistrib- uh, redistributed uh, among the units. Uh, so, uh, one of the main tasks of his, uh, in his opinion, is also to organize very fe- efficient military logistics. Another uh, priority is the life and health of uh, Ukrainian soldiers, as the biggest value, the main value of the Ukrainian army. So Sirski uh, emphasized that um, the maintaining a balance between the performing the duties and rehabilitation and res- uh, restoration of units is uh, is extremely important as well as the proper level and efficiency of training before uh, the, their start of combat missions. And the last but not least, the, the another priority is the introduction of new technical solutions, uh, especially the use of unmanned systems and modern electronic warfare tools. So we see that these ideas, these priorities, overlap with what General Zaluzhny mentioned before, and it proves once again that no matter what person is. The head of the armed forces. Still, the problems are inherited, and the there is this uh, there is this uh, single united understanding of uh, what should be done uh, to change the situation on the ground. And talking about the situation on the ground on the front lines, uh, it remains tense. And here we are gradually passing to the uh, events uh, on the front lines and in the Ukrainian cities. So Russian troops are attempting to attack along the whole front line and Avdiivka remains the hottest spot there. Ukrainian military and military analysts talk about the risks of losing the town. Russian troops are trying to encircle the city and now they are moving forward in the southern part of Avdiivka and they are trying to advance in the northern part of the town. So uh, the Russians' aim is to cut off Ukrainian forces at the near Avdiivka coke plant and cut the Ukrainian land connection that leads to the town. So now the positional battles are taking place around the town as well uh, Ukrainian troops still manage to hold the defense. However, Russians are actively used tanks and artillery, and as I've mentioned, they, they are gradually moving forward. Um, the Russian, another aim of Russians, like tactical aim here, is to reach the route uh, that is used by Ukrainian armed forces for supplying and if Russians cut these routes, um Ukrainian armed forces will face logistical problems, and it will become even more difficult to uh, to keep to hold the defense. so as as I've told, the danger of losing city is real uh, real. However, according to military experts, if it happens, it won't be a disaster for the outcome of war. So uh, yes, Ukraine, might lose a foothold but it doesn't have a big strategic importance for the outcome outcome of the war however the war is ongoing not only on the front lines russia continues attacks on ukrainian cities and it keeps fighting with ukrainian civilians carrying out terrorist attacks from air it happens every day and night uh and um it happens to uh, front uh, to, to the cities, towns, and villages close to the front lines, and in this case, the situation is disastrous, and people there, these cities and villages and towns, are suffering heav- heavily every day. And the such things also happen. These attacks also happen on the rear Ukrainian cities, and it's terrible even to pronounce this thing. But after every attack. Each of us who survived or wasn't wounded or didn't lose any properties say, luckily, it wasn't me this time, just this time. So we don't know what is going to happen the next time. Still, every story of Ukrainian who suffered in these brutal attacks actually caused deep pain behind the chest. And it's not possible to remain indifferent to, to the pains and sorrows of our fellow citizens. So on the 7th of February, early in the morning, uh, Russia launched a um, mixed missile and drone attack on Kiev, Mykolaiv, Dnipro, Kharkiv and Lviv. Uh, one person was killed in Mykolaiv and four people were killed in Kiev. And in total, as a result of this mm, massive attack uh, in all the cities and regions, 51 uh, people were wounded. Uh, during this attack Russian R- Russia used thirty nine missiles of different types and uh, twenty UAVs. And uh, here the amount uh, the number of S three hundred ballistic missiles is uh, not counted, just cruise missiles, air ballistic missiles, etc. Another attack uh, took uh, place shortly after it was on the night of the 10th of February. And it was uh, a head drones attack. And Odessa and Kharkiv were main targets. Uh, And uh, in in Kharkiv, actually, this attack had disastrous consequences. Uh, One of the drones hit the oil depot. And as a result, uh, there was a big fire and unfortunately uh, like half of the street in the village nearby was burnt out and 15 houses were burned down completely 57 people were wounded and 7 people died and it's a big tragedy these 7 people were members of one family they were their home mother father and three children 6 months old 4 years old and 7 years old they all died they all were burnt uh well they were trying to save their lives, but the fire was much stronger than they were, and the whole family lost their lives, unfortunately, at that attack. And the next night was not the uh, exception. Russians launched another uh, another drone attack, and uh, Kiev, Vinnytsa, Zhytomyr, Kirovograd, Mikhailov, Cherkasa, Odessa, Dnipropetrovsk, and Kherson oblasts, were the targets And uh, during this attack Russians used 45 uh, Strike drones And luckily Ukrainian air defense Managed to uh, Shut down 40, 40 drones So the, the majority of them And as Actually as the president As President Zelensky told since the beginning Of the year 359 drones were already Shut down by Ukrainian Armed forces. So um, these news are quite alarming and disturbing. And uh, amid uh, such situations, the question of partnership, the question of um, international support to Ukraine is getting more and more actual and more and more important. And Dasha has some news to share about this international support to Ukraine.
2: Yes, it's indeed hard to share some positive lights uh, in, uh, amid the background of what you just said, but I'll try to keep up with the feelings as uh, so many Ukrainians do. Uh, So basically, uh, what I'm about to say is that we knew that EU high representative for foreign affairs and security policy, Joseph Borrell, arrived in Kiev on Tuesday, 6th of uh, February for fourth time since the start of Russia's full-scale invasion, and we know that Prime Minister of Ukraine, Denis Shmyhal commented that they discussed the supply of 1 million rounds of ammunition to the Ukrainian armed forces, Ukraine's uh, European uh, path, strengthening sanctions against Russia and the confiscation of Russian assets. Moreover, uh, Borel and Shmihal discussed further joint steps in the field of uh, European integration. And uh, in light of this, uh, Denis Shmihal welcomed the European Commission's decision to extend the complete cancellation of uh, duties on uh, Ukrainian products until June 2025, as it is important to enshrine a fully free trade regime. In the association agreement, and this is one of the main areas of joint work this year in trade relations with the EU. So we know that European Union is about values, but uh, also one of its main building blocks uh, is uh, market, market economy and um, trade as a prerequisite of uh, cooperation and consensus. And there was also raised the issue of uh, toughening sanctions against Russia as well as the confiscation of its assets due to its barbarous aggression against Ukraine. And as Shmyhal said, the time has come to create a legal mechanism that will allow us to uh, confiscate frozen Russian assets and to use them for the need of Ukraine. This all was happening amid the background of Ukraine starting talks with uh, Romania in a bilateral uh, security agreement. And we know that... um, the talks were launched as a part of G7 joint declaration of support for Ukraine. The same is true, for example, for Ukrainian-Danish partnership. Um, the parties discussed the main elements of uh, future, like structure of security and security commitments, and agreed on a schedule for further uh, negotiations. Although um, we don't know details of these agreements um, as for now. But it's important to highlight that uh, those talks and negotiations in sphere of uh, not only supporting Ukraine in times of war, but also providing a new security um, like architecture afterwards is important. And speaking of the side of light, we cannot help but mentioning the side of darkness. Um, Nicaragua as a new illegal trade and economic partner of occupied Crimea um, might somehow disturb our minds because who will cooperate with terrorists? But uh, this is not the case, and um, during preparation for this episode, I found the statement of the permanent representative of the president in the Autonomous Republic of Crimea, Tamila Tashova, who said that Nicaragua could face new sanctions in addition to those already imposed by the US, the EU and Ukraine. And uh, the reason is quite clear. It should be understood that any work, including economic cooperation on the territory of Crimea as a tot and tot means uh, temporarily occupied territories, will be subject to sanctions, regardless of which state or state-control actors or legal entities will work. As uh, Tashava said, regardless of whether they are EU countries, North America or countries of the global South, each um, should face, uh, like, just outcome of such um, illegal partnership and um, like uh, provide of uh, help for those who uh, thinks that it's okay to occupy a sovereign state and uh, to break international law. But um, why I say it might only disturb our minds at the first point, because Nicaragua has Long played along with uh, Russia's aggressive policy, back in 2020, uh, the country opened its own consulate in the occupied Crimea, and uh, at that time Ukraine imposed sanctions against it. Today, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine has sent an official note to protest to the Nicaraguan uh, government. But uh, if we uh, take a zoom out and uh, see a broader perspective, we see that Russia has been trying for years to show that someone wants to cooperate with Crimea. In uh, 2018, a, de- a delegation from the African Republic of Benin visited the peninsula, allegedly to establish cooperation in agriculture. Um, representatives of Guinea and Mozambique took part in so-called military exercises in 2020. But uh, what? About which military exercise can we talk if we see the this like excess um, mm, of Avil and uh, uh, aggressive terrorist states waging its aggressive foreign policy and militarizing all instruments that a that it has, like, starting f- from like marine security to um, to food security and to uh, rights, to civil rights and. Uh, uh, other instruments that are used in other means um, in democratic and adequate states. Um, so uh, the, the picture is that uh, the main aim of this move is to create an image that Crimea is not isolated. Um, although this was not the point, and uh, if we remember the occupational uh, like uh, leadership of uh, Yalta, recently got into a scandal in Turkey. Uh, We we remember that Kremlin-controlled officials went there to establish twinning relations with Istanbul's Beylikdüzü municipal uh, district and attended a local forum in Konyi. But uh, we we remember how the story ends. Uh, The Ministry of Foreign Affairs then protested to the Turkish side and the head of the majlis of the Crimean Tatar people, Rafat Chubarov, spoke to Turkish officials and, as he said, it is clear that there will uh, be no tweening between such a respected city as Kony and the occupation authorities in Yalta. So they understood everything and expressed public assurance that uh, no one would violate the forms of cooperation between Turkey and Ukraine which do not recognize Russia's occupation and um, attempts to annex uh, Crimea full stop. From trying to establish partnership to trying to speak with the Western audience, from the point of view of political technologists, uh, the newly broadly um, shared interview of uh, Tucker Carlson with uh, Putin, we can say that Putin could use this interview with Carlson, who has a big audience, to speak to the extremes like far rights pro-Russian audience. But it was not the point, and I knew that, um, and I know that Nastya devoted a lot of her time for debunking Russian propaganda. So, without further delay, let's dive deep
1: in the specifics. The interview uh, of uh, Tucker Carlson. American so-called journalist with Russian President Putin should have become a big information event and there were so many expectations about it especially among Russians and those Westerners who um, support Russia or who support far-right views or populistic views so many believe that um, with the help of this thanks to this interview um, Putin should convey some important political signals to the West, uh, or at least to those uh, representatives of Western political establishments who see the end of the war in negotiations with Kremlin. And actually, it was the first big interview uh, of uh, Russian president with Western journalists since the full-scale invasion. So um, the expectations were really high, but quite expectedly it turned out to be just several hours of blatant lies, very similar to delirium poured out of Putin's mouth. However, no matter how senseless and absurd Putin's words were, uh, we can call it as a Russia's information operation. And uh, analyzing what was said, uh, how it was said, we can conclude that actually the main audience the main putin's audience was actually russian audience so he aimed his uh his attempts to tell something just to uh his audience uh to show that he actually isn't isolated that russia isn't isolated and so called uh according to russian view right correct uh western journalists still come to russia and talk to their leader. We also can conclude that despite the ambiguous, uh, self contradictory uh, messages Putin sent, we can say that he actually demonstrated that Russia is not interested in any meaningful negotiations with Ukraine and still seeks to destroy Ukraine as a state. And uh, why I'm emphasizing this negotiations part, because Uh, in the world there are still these actors, uh, these forces who see the end of the war in the negotiations process between Russia and Ukraine and those forces who actually emphasize or uh, insist on certain kind of compromises and negotiations between the sides. So what we can conclude is that actually Russia uh, hasn't changed its stance, even if Ukraine was ready, even if In theory, still Russia hasn't changed its stance. It isn't ready for, mm, let's say, meaningful negotiations. And yes, the aims are the same. Uh, Russia wants to destroy Ukraine and Ukrainians. It doesn't make much sense to uh, retell what was told by Putin. Those cliches, those myths, those um, narratives that are actually not new Putin didn't express any new narratives or his his propaganda machine hasn't invented any new narratives or stories to tell. But let's just uh, pay attention to those key narratives that existed in the information space, in the Russian information space before uh, this interview and these narratives have been actively distributed and spread in the West as well. Uh, So let's just remember what was uh, spread in the information space before and what was reiterated uh, by Putin in his interview. The first thing is that Russia still keeps trying to present itself as, uh, not as an aggressor actually, and uh, Russia uses several types of narratives to prove this point. First, Russia says that actually it's a victim. Russia has to defend itself in face of the Western threats and uh, actual invasion of Ukraine was a preemptive measure. So that it didn't let the West attack Russia by with the uh, Ukrainian hands. And another side of this narrative is actually that Russia has Russia isn't an aggressor, but it has this civilizational mission uh, to protect uh, Russians on the Ukrainian territories. And actually, as Putin told, uh, Russia didn't attack, didn't in, uh, isn't an aggressor. It's actually a protector. So these narratives, this uh, blatant lie, isn't new, and Russia is trying to present this image of itself. inside and outside. Another important block of uh, n- propaganda, another important narrative uh, is connected to history. S- let's say pseudo-history. So uh, Putin, it was uh, the another example when Putin gave this pseudo-historical lecture uh, about the non-existence of Ukraine and um, things related to that. So, according, so he started his narration uh, from the Uh, Kyiv-Russ Times And uh, actually his um, His conclusion was that Ukraine Actually isn't a state but uh, Austro-Hungarian project Which is also a widespread Narrative um, Disseminated by Russian propaganda Machine and they were loads of uh, commands by so-called experts, so-called Russian experts and even documentaries that were uh, analyzing or that were researching this Austro-Hungarian footprint in the creation of Ukraine and Ukrainian history and Ukrainian language. So all this uh, nonsense that has been spreading uh, in Russia, on Russian TV since... Since the times before the full-scale invasion were reiterated by the Russian leader. And uh, saying these things like uh, non-existence of Ukraine, Ukrainian people, uh, actually has its aim. Uh, This way, Russian propaganda and Russian leader are trying to deprive Ukraine of its subjectness. And uh, there was another narrative uh, emphasized by Putin, actually, uh, that plays into supporting the same narrative about the lack of subjectness. It's presenting Ukraine as the mm, Western slave or something like that. So West, the West was presented as a puppet master. And uh, Putin was appealing to the West while talking about the negotiations as if ukraine doesn't decide anything in this regard if we talk about history it's actually like the the one thing i uh, want to uh, put close attention to to uh, emphasize is actually how um how putin was trying to uh, justify the actions of hitler So he said that actually Poland provoked Germany to start the Second World War. And that's... um, I I even cannot find the correct words to um, describe this type of uh, distortion of history. Um, It's just insane, I would say. And uh, actually saying, like selling these narratives um, has several aims. So Reinventing the history of the Second World War, the, and uh, the uh, story of that period which was full of tragedy and pain. Um, in this way, Putin is trying to legitimize his actions and he's trying to, uh, re, to, to change the, to change minds of, his, of of Russians while saying such things. So uh, he's he trying to present that actually black is white. Why is he doing so? Because he he's trying to blame the victim. He's trying to tell that the aggressor is not guilty, and actually, Nazism is good. These are key messages from Putin. And doing so, saying such things about the uh, Second World War, he is ac- actually trying to justify his aggression against Ukraine. And uh, again. Th- Getting back to the history, uh, historical side of this interview and um, like the Russian propaganda image, Russian propaganda's image of uh, Ukrainian history. No matter uh, what history was, I mean, what Russians say, it's uh, a blatant lie. But uh, when it comes to international law, what role can history play, actually? Uh, the international law established uh, the borders of the states that are internationally recognized and no historical past can change what is dictated by law. And even attempt to rewrite the history or distort history to deny existence of Ukraine doesn't have any meaning, doesn't have any effects on the ground. It cannot change the current reality which is fixed by international law so these are all only mind games and the ways to persuade russian population um, in the necessity to destroy ukraine and uh, another narrative i'd like to pay attention to is actually mm, i would call a geopolitical delirium by putin uh, he kept talking about the Um, Multipolar world And Russia as Protector of this multipolar world And in his Interview Putin told that Weakening of the West and dismantling Of NATO is a Prerequisite of multipolar worlds And he um, Compared the current World order With the times of the Roman Empire And he told that eventually Roman Empire fell It was conquered by other forces. And what is happening now is very similar to that period. But as he told, the processes are taking place much faster. So here we see the hidden threats uh, towards the uh, the West, to the West, uh, in case, so uh, let's assume that in case um, the West doesn't fulfill Russian whims, Russia can attack that was the hidden message. But at the same time, Putin told that uh, he's not going to attack neither Poland nor uh, Baltic states. Again, another contradiction in his narration, another contradiction in in what was uh, expressed by him. Um, these contradictions actually have their aim. Their aim is to just um, create these. Uh, these Ambiguity uh, creates this lack of understanding of of what is actually going on, and very telling example of these contradic- uh, contradictions is about uh, his um, attitude to negotiations. So he told about Russia's readiness for negotiations, and he was Putin also blamed, actually blamed West and Ukraine for um, for absence of these negotiations but in fact he kept talking about uh, so-called nazism in ukraine and russian and aims of so-called special military operations. so he told again about this denazification demilitarization and neutralization of ukraine and he told that the aims actually should be reached so on the one hand he talked he talks about the negotiations on the other he tells that russia is not going to um give up on the ideas of destroying ukraine so mm, the psychological operation i'd say was successful for Ukraine, for uh, the russian market uh, i have doubts about the groundbreaking effect for the western supporters of russia so we see that actually nothing changes in Russian vision of the current situation and why would it change and the Russian leader um, in his uh, let's say propagandistic interview reiterated the classical, already classical narratives of Russian propaganda but uh, the issue is that all these things, all these words all these um incitement to hatred actually has real consequences on the ground we can talk about the narratives propaganda more information uh weaponization of information as much as we want we can analyze it as much as we want but we see real consequences on the ground we see real consequences of this propaganda Uh, On the people's lives, on the tragedies Ukrainians face every day And uh, there is a report uh, issued by Human Rights Watch About the Russian crimes in Mariupol The bleeding wounds on the body of Ukraine So Dasha, what does this report tell us?
2: Uh, so uh, the uh, naming of it is, uh, speaks volume. It is called Our City Was Gone, Russia's Devastation of Mariupol, Ukraine. And uh, this report is based on nearly two years of research conducted by Human Rights Watch and Truth Hunts, uh, a leading Ukrainian human rights organizations. And uh, in terms of uh, of when we lack information about what is going on, what repressions are undergone on those territories, it's um, like a, an extremely important document to uh, get acquainted with. Uh, we know that the battle for Mariupol has been among the most destructive of the war in Ukraine thus far. It left behind an uh, unrecognizable wasteland of destroyed apartment buildings, uh, shells of cars and buses, um, looted shops and uh, unknown numbers buried beneath the rubble. And uh, um, the the most uh, terrible thing is uh, the lost lives of uh, Mariupol citizens. For months, there was no functioning electricity, water, gas, or basic services such as hospitals. By mid-2022, only an estimated fifth of the original population remained living under Russian occupation. Between March 2022 and February 2023, more than 10,000 people were buried in Mariupol, at least eight thousand are likely to have died from war-related causes such as um, direct attacks or a lack of medical care or uh, supply of water. By mid-May 2022, 93% of the 477 multi-story apartment buildings in the central part of the city had been damaged. All 19 hospitals' campuses citywide were damaged and 86 of the uh, 89 educational facilities that were identified across the city were also damaged. And uh, this um, report and the story of Mariupol who withstand uh, and uh, keeps uh, hoping for... Uh, coming back of armed forces of Ukraine, which uh, w- which we know uh, will will be like Budanov said so in his latest interview, uh, might be happening uh, around the springish time of 2024, and it hits it hits the heart actually because uh, I know some people living there of my uh, like university colleagues or uh students uh, of uh, National University of Kyiv Mohila Academy with whom I uh, shared my bachelor degree so basically uh this story is very personal and uh reading this this piece that uh, describes in a nutshell what is going on and uh, how much um, of uh, life of people were uh, lost there uh, is, is really devastating and um as I have already mentioned, it hits the heart. And uh, w- the report also pays attention to those who should be held accountable for all this. These individuals are, and potentially other commanders of the 17 units identified in Mariupol should be investigated and appropriately prosecuted for their alleged role in serious violations committed during the uh, Russian forces assault. The concrete international efforts toward justice and accountability are crucial to demonstrate that unlawful attacks carry consequences, to deter further atrocities, and to reinforce the principle that accountability for grave crimes cannot be eluded because of frank opposition. Um, I know that these conclusions are understandable, they are well-published. But uh, I guess it's important to reiterate it once again. And uh, we should remember of those who stayed there for um, temporary uh, and uh, to reiterate it because we are the voice of those who can't speak now for uh, repressions, for lost lives and many other reasons that um, go ahead with with this um, another crime of uh, Russian occupiers. That's all for now. And thank you for staying with us.
0: This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. I was joined by my colleagues Anastasia Heresimchuk and Daria Sinhaevska, journalists and analysts at Ukraine World. They discussed key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com ukraineworld ukraine world. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal ukraine.resistinggmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.